This episode is brought to you by Tovito, the Jewish video streaming app that parents call a lifesaver. With Tovito, I'm confident that when I give my kids video time, I'm giving them content that aligns with my family's values in a safe space. Whether it's because you're traveling with your kids, they're home from school while you're trying to get ready for Passover, or you just want to reward them with movie night, Tovito is there for you. And now you can claim 15% off the annual subscription using the code JMM at checkout. That's only $84.99 a year to access videos you approve of and that kids love. My kids rave about Tobito, and hey, I do too. Go check it out at Tobito.com. That's T-O-V-E-E-D-O.com. And use the code JMM at checkout to get 15% off your Tobito subscription. Now, just in time for Passover, when the kids will be home or you'll be traveling, download Tobito for kosher entertainment that will keep the family happy. Claim 15% off with the code JMM at Tobito.com. Jewish Money Matters, episode 320, The Why of Money with Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth, to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. We reach a place where piety does not equal poverty, and poverty does not equal piety. That's not to say that some of the most poor people were and are sometimes extremely pious people. But what it is to say is that we don't need the mindset that the more poor I am, the more I'm beloved by God, the more righteous, Mm -hmm. the more holy, on the contrary. The more prosperity you have, the more you can help people, (laughs) the more Mm -hmm. charity you can give, the more you could put a smile of joy on the faces of children, the more lives you can save, the more awareness and healing you can bring to a world that is rattled with sickness Mm -hmm. and denial and subconscious poison that we're not ready to acknowledge. So every Mm -hmm. dollar can be used in order to imbue a world with a new consciousness, a redemptive consciousness, a consciousness of truth, authenticity, a consciousness of love without poison, this is the opportunity. This is our mission. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. We are going deep today, my friends, deep into what is money, or more accurately, what is the why of money, the real purpose of money. This episode is sure to shift your mindset about money. I'm in conversation with the illustrious Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson. Rabbi Jacobson is one of the most sought-after speakers in the Jewish world today and a mentor to many thousands across the globe. He has traveled to hundreds of communities in six continents, educating and inspiring people of all backgrounds with a depth of Torah and Judaism. Rabbi Jacobson was the first rabbi ever to be invited by the Pentagon to deliver the religious keynote to the U.S. military chief of chaplains and to the National Security Agency. In this episode, we ease the tension or discomfort that a person might feel around money and asking for abundance. How do we balance the ambition for more with the instruction to be happy with your lot? Rabbi Jacobson helps us answer that question. We discuss a challenge of poverty as well as a challenge of wealth and how to navigate the challenge. Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson also helps us distinguish between Meister and Tzedakah and understand the importance of both. Ultimately, we ask the question, is there a shift in paradigm in our times where poverty is not synonymous with piety and where abundance, wealth, is what God wants and we should want for ourselves? Let's hear from Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson. 
YY Jacobson. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. Thank you. My privilege and honor. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I would be actually remiss if I wouldn't mention the the divine providence, the Ashkaha Pratis. I was just thinking before we got on that six months ago, almost to the date, I was interviewing your brother, Rabbi Simon Jacobson, right Elul, right before Rosh Hashanah. I'm interviewing you right before Passover, two times of year where money becomes pretty relevant and top of mind. And I'm not, I don't mean because Tishrei is expensive and Nissan is expensive. I mean more because, you know, Rosh Hashanah, what we're making for the year is being decreed. And, you know, a lot of us pray for abundance during that time of year. And now we're about to leave Mitzrayim and we're about to, for, for many people, um, leaving Egypt means also leaving, you know, the shackles of financial worry. It means working through maybe a mindset of constriction and scarcity and all these things. So it's very interesting that this is happening now. Hopefully we'll be able to illuminate a lot of people's lives with this conversation, help them through that process of leaving Mitzrayim. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I hope so. Yes. So why don't we start with the, the tension? I'm sure you've experience this in your work. You, you you meet with so many people on a daily basis. You counsel so many people. You travel around the world. You talk so, to so many people, Jewish and non-Jewish. But specifically, I want to talk about the tension that often people live with, where they they think that money is something totally physical and detached from spirituality. In fact, many, even in the Jewish world, will argue that Money is the opposite to or antithetical to spirituality. Um, so why don't we begin with that tension that people feel that if I have wealth or if I, um, and then I'm not going to be, be a spiritual person or I'm going to be spiritually flawed or it's going to detract from my spiritual growth. This, this comes with a tremendous amount of shame and guilt, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Can you help us resolve this? Can you give us a Jewish perspective? Of course. The Jewish perspective is that not only is money not the contradiction to spiritual wealth, but on the contrary, money in its pristine and true nature and purpose is an extension of spiritual wealth, Mm -hmm. meaning money is the mechanism that the creator put into this world through which we can buy and sell, through which we can function and live, through which we can eat and support our family educate our children, live in a beautiful home, and be able to function in our world. Nobody can function in this world without (laughs) some form of money. Somebody got to pay the bills for somebody. So to say Mm -hmm. that this part of life, which is essential to functionality, is evil or rotten or immoral or shameful is really antithetical to the entire perspective of Judaism that sees all of life as part of oneness all of the world as Mm -hmm. part of a holistic, organic, integrated unity, which comes from the one source of life and really trickles down into every aspect of life. The truth is the exact opposite. Abundance of money, the Talmud says about the Holy Temple, that it was built in the most beautiful fashion. God tells the Jews to build the tabernacle in the most splendid fashion. Why? Because royalty is expressed spiritually and it's expressed physically. So a royal person lives with royalty, lives with abundance, lives with comfort, lives with Mm -hmm. beauty. But here is obviously the, the condition or the important thing, and that is money can become divorced from our spiritual calling, but that's a choice we make. When money becomes the beginning, the middle, and the end, when it's about having money or using the money to numb 
our pain, to cover up our insecurities, to detach us from people, to become more selfish, or to become more severed from our true inner calling, then indeed, it's more than shameful. It's broken. It's, uh, it's, mm-hmm. it, it won't fill us up. It won't fill us up. There's people who have a lot, a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of money. God bless them. May they have all the money in the world. But they're miserable. They're miserable because the, nothing can replace the inner life. Nothing can replace the value of right. relationships. Nothing. You can give me $10 billion right now. I'll tell you an interesting story. When my son was a child, my son is still a child. When he was a young child, he once asked me, I remember it was Shabbos afternoon, and he says, Tati, I'm going to ask you a serious question. You're a very smart boy. I'm very honest. He was maybe seven or eight. He says, if somebody would give you $10 million and ask you to sign a document on Shabbos, sign your signature, would you do it? I said, no, wow. Mendel. No, Mendel. He said, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. If you get $10 million, you just have to do one thing and nobody even sees. Why not? Why wouldn't you do it? I knew this was a learning moment. I said, Mendel, let me ask you a question. Somebody came over to Tati or mommy and said, I'm not giving you $10 million. I'm giving you $25 billion. But here's the condition. You give us your son and we will raise him. We will give him a beautiful life. He'll have all the comforts in the world, but he's not in your house anymore. You can't see him anymore. He's our child. I said, Mendel, do you think Tati would do it for $25 billion, give you up or not? He looked at me and he said, no. I'm like, oh, thank God he doesn't think his father would sell him. Then I said, Mendel, one more question. Do you think Tati would have to think about it for a few days? He said, no. I said, why not? $25 billion. And he looked at me and he said, I know that it wouldn't be a question by you. Mm. He said, very well, because some things in life are priceless. How much do you pay for a child? $25 billion, $25 million, $20 million, $100,000. It's priceless. It doesn't go in. If you want an interesting example, not even to compare, but if you go to the crown jewels in England, the crown jewels in England, which lately were a major discussion because of the coronation of uh, King Charles and the death of uh, Queen Elizabeth II in September 2022, there's no insurance on them. There's no insurance. Mm -hmm. How is it? The answer is they're priceless. Mm -hmm. How can you insure that? Some things are priceless. So I told Mendel, I said, my dear son, I want you to know that Shabbos is priceless. My point is, money is a tool, a beautiful tool, an incredible tool, a spiritual tool. With money, you build a better world. With money, you create beautiful institutions. With money, you help the needy and the poor. With money, you saturate the world with goodness. If you, are, if you have a vision, if you're driven by purpose, then your money is an extension of your inner soul, of your inner goodness. And mm-hmm. then it's all one. Right. And so I would say not only that Shabbos is priceless, but to your point that my relationship with God is priceless. 
And money is just at one of the many tools that God, God right. gives me to be, to maximize my potential in the world. Very and so well. what's important, what's important to me is my relationship with God. Then everything else is just, it's just in order to me, for me to fulfill that relationship. And so exactly. nothing that's ever going to go against that relationship is ever going to satisfy me. Right. Anything that doesn't feed and enhance our relationship with God, which by extension means our relationship with ourselves. Yes. Relationships with our loved ones, our relationships with the people around us. It's all that one thing. That's what a relationship with God means. Yes. If something doesn't fit into that, ultimately, it's going to take me away from me. It's going to take me away from the source of life. How can right. plugging yourself from your source of life feel good? It just mm-hmm. detaches you. And then money becomes a number or a camouflaging mask or a substitute. And then mm-hmm. it's just an incessant pursuit. And there can right. be a lot of jealousy. And the more you have, the more jealousy there is. So therefore, the focus of money must, oh, I always must ask myself, what is driving me here? If it's all about the money, and especially the comparative, the comparisons to other people, it's usually there's an infection there. And then mm-hmm. indeed, it could be a distraction. And everything can be a distraction. Eating can be a distraction. And relation and sexuality can be a distraction, and drinking can be a distraction. So it's really there's a beautiful teaching from the Maggid of Mizrich. He was the successor of the Balshamta, one of the greatest Hasidic masters. And he once said, We say in Psalms, we say it every morning in the prayers, Mullahitz Kinyanecha. The whole mm-hmm. world is filled with your acquisitions. Literally, it means that the whole world belongs to God, like He acquires everything because mm-hmm. it's His. See, he made it, so it's His. I make something, it's mine. But he said, that's not a novelty. We understand that. There's many verses that say that. He says the, 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 the psalm is essentially much deeper. The whole world, the whole earth is filled with opportunities to acquire you. In other words, wherever you turn in the world, there's another opportunity to acquire God. When I acquire money, I build a beautiful company or an amazing business or a great website, or a corporation, or a movement. And it may be generating a lot, a lot of money. What am I acquiring? I'm acquiring money, yes. But the Maggit says, it's an opportunity to acquire God. An opportunity to acquire spiritual wealth. It's an opportunity to acquire love. It's an opportunity to acquire the gift of giving, Mm -hmm. of generosity, of love. So what we have to be cautious this interpretation always moves my heart because it's of beautiful. The, the spiritual beauty of it. It's absolutely beautiful. And I'm so glad you shared it because I actually had not heard this from the Maggid and it's absolutely mind blowing. It's, it's so, so profound and, and, and can illuminate so much of what we do on a day, day to day basis. Right. So the bottom line is we shouldn't be cautious or, or skeptical about the money itself, but we should be cautious about ourselves and how do we relate to it, right? That's that's where that's the warning sign. <laughs> the way the Kabbalah puts it, money is filled with divine holy sparks. The mm-hmm. question is, will I extract them? Mm-hmm. Will I utilize the money to serve its own true purpose and raise on the etra? Will mm-hmm. I utilize the money to advance the cause of redemptive consciousness? to advance the cause of unity, to advance the cause of of joy and serenity and tranquility and becoming closer to each other and closer to God and bringing the world 
closer to each other, or mm-hmm. God forbid, the opposite. Right. So if you have a lot of money, you, you, me, all of us, we should all have a lot of money. The real message Amen. is, the real message is, God is giving you an opportunity to revolutionize the world. Don't be, mm-hmm. don't be ashamed. Embrace it. Realize the opportunity, the potential, and run with it and make a difference. Right. Right, right. Which helps, which what you just said really helps people also with this idea that sometimes many will argue like, well, you know, I just need enough to get by, right? I don't need to ask for more. I should just be happy with what I have. Uh, And, you know, what do we say to that? Like, are being happy with what you have and satisfied with your lot and the ambition and desire for more, are those two mutually exclusive? Because I think not, but I want to know what you think. Right. Obviously, a lot of it depends on personal disposition and background and circumstances mm. and what you had growing up, et cetera, and different people's appetites. But in a more abstract way, the two are not contradictory. Because right. when we contextualize money and we place it in the right perspective, the moment money becomes the source of my stress or the source of my joy, it means that I don't have such a good relationship with it. Of course, I need money. And of course, if somebody can't pay their bills, it's very, very stressful. And it's important to acknowledge that. Sometimes I I hear people say, never get stressed about money. Sometimes if a person can't pay tuition, if a person doesn't have the food to buy for the Seder, if a person can't pay, it's it's stressful, it's difficult. And therefore, we all need to try to help each other and help ourselves be able to make the money we need. It could be very, very stressful. Let's face it, if somebody can pay their bills easily, I don't think it's the source of happiness, but it it, it creates a certain uh, lack of burden and, yeah. and heaviness that is extremely liberating. It's important to acknowledge that, you know, when people just dismiss mm-hmm. it as meaningless and valueless, maybe if some people are on that level, but we have to acknowledge the fact that it could be for a father or mother to go to sleep at night, you know, and how is Yankee, uh, how am I paying Yankees tuition tomorrow? The school says you have to pay, you're already two years behind. It's very difficult, very, very difficult. And that's why it's important to be sensitive to people's needs. It's the greatest, mm-hmm. Maimonides writes, but there's many levels of charity. He says the greatest level of charity is when you help somebody get a job. In other words, the greatest level of charity is not when I support somebody who doesn't have. It's when I help somebody support themselves so they don't have to ask. When you right. can invest with somebody, when you can give them business advice, when you can give them an opportunity, when you can give them a job, when you can guide them in a way that they can generate their own success, that's ultimately what we want to do for people. So it's important mm-hmm. to acknowledge that. But, yeah. but wherever I am in life, if my entire source of stress and joy is money, it means I'm not connected to it in a really holistic way. Because mm-hmm. money is very, very important. But ultimately, I have to remember that the core of life is my values and my relationships, my attachment and my connections. So having a lot of money, if that's the source of my happiness, it's going to be disappointing. Not having money, if that's the exclusive source of my stress, ultimately, I'm not, I'm not appreciating something. So we have to mm-hmm. understand the money I have, I want to celebrate. I want to celebrate. And to sit and moan, why am I not yet a millionaire or billionaire? Why, why are you moaning? Focus on what's your most important values in life. But together with that, Mm -hmm. if you have the opportunity, the time and the energy, and you want to make more money to do great things with it, that's a wonderful, uh, 
it's a wonderful option in life. And mm. I have to say that we're living in a time in history when it's very obvious that God has given Jews and others the ability to make money in a disproportionate way relative to previous generations, right? I don't have to probably describe to you the levels of poverty that existed in the shtetl that today even very poor families can't even imagine and fathom. Not that they're not struggling, but there were people that were struggling in a way that it's very, very hard even today to fathom and understand. And there are people today that are, thank God, so, so successful. This is not a random coincidence. It's not just a random event that just happened in the 21st century. It's designed. We're living in a time mm-hmm. of history where all the money that Jews are making were given to us in order to be able to build to build communities based on truth, authenticity, emotional health, and spiritual health in an unprecedented fashion. And it mm-hmm. takes money. Mm-hmm. And with that, you're reminding me that there's almost this equation, um, especially for um, Jews from Eastern European descent, not so much for Sephardim, where poverty equals piety, right? And again, like we should shun, we should be just skeptic about it. And is it safe to say, is it fair to say that it's almost like this, this, there's a paradigm shift, the closer we are now to the days of Mashiach, where this is not the viable paradigm anymore. There's a whole paradigm shift that's happening where this abundance is really messianic, that this is the, like, this is the paradigm that we need the wealth. We're utilizing the wealth. There's no such thing as poverty equals piety. And in fact, (laughs) prosperity can be piety at this point, you know? Maimonides writes, the Rambam writes clearly, that one of the main reasons that the Jewish people crave the Messianic era is because the world will be filled with material abundance so that we will be able to dedicate our time and our energy to be saturated with the consciousness of the divine. Mm-hmm. So according to the mm-hmm. Rambam, this was the very craving and yearning for Mashiach, or at least part of it, to be able to mm-hmm. live in a world that has so much abundance where war, jealousy, famine, negative competitiveness, toxicity between people, nations, and communities that comes because of a lack in wealth will be gone. And I think Mm -hmm. as we see history progressing, we're reaching closer and closer to that place. I mean, we may be in a place where 90% of the work will be be created, will be at least uh, facilitated or created through artificial intelligence. If we're Mm -hmm. going to be getting all our electricity from solar energy, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, there may be a time where things won't be expensive, won't be expensive yeah. at all. Lifespan will soon be doubled. Scientists say. So the question mm-hmm. is, what are we going to be doing all day? Right. <laughs> right. 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 What are we going to be doing it. all day? And the answer Maimonides gives, I quote him. This is the end of the book of the Ramba Mishnah Torah. It's going to come a time where there won't be hunger or war, toxic mm-hmm. jealousy or negative competitiveness. Because all the delicacies and the, will be in abundance, and the goodness, he says, will be as common as dust. The occupation of the entire world, the entire planet, Jews and non-Jews, will be engaged in divine awareness and intimacy. That's a mm-hmm. fascinating, uh, fascinating statement by Maimonides. In other words, we reach a place where piety does not equal poverty. And poverty does not equal piety. That's not to say that some of the most poor people were and are sometimes extremely pious people. 
But what it is to say is that we don't need the mindset that the more poor I am, the more I'm beloved by God, the more righteous, mm-hmm. the more holy. On the contrary, the more prosperity you have, the more you can help people, <laughs> the more mm-hmm. charity you can give, the more you could put a smile of joy on the faces of children, the more lives you can save, the more awareness and healing you can bring to a world that is rattled with sickness mm-hmm. and denial and subconscious poison that we're not ready to acknowledge. So every mm-hmm. dollar can be used in order to imbue a world with a new consciousness, a redemptive consciousness, a consciousness of truth, authenticity, a consciousness of love without poison. This is the opportunity. This is our mission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's to say for those of those in the audience who are comfortable with asking for abundance, which I've heard many times, I've heard, you know what, Yael, like, I have no issue praying for nachas for my children or for health, but right. money? Like, how could I pray for such a thing? Like, and, and, and I also hear like, that might be a trade-off. You know, I might be at risk of, of put, I might put, be putting other blessings at risk that, you know, like one comes at the expense of the other. And I'm like, no, I don't think it works like that. <laughs> Look at the sitter. <laughs> right. And listen, who, as let's think about ourselves as mothers and fathers, do we want our children to have abundance or do we want our children to struggle? Right. So the ultimate design of things, our heavenly father and mother wants his children to have abundance, to have prosperity, right. to have everything they need. Right, 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 right. Rabbi, I want if, my if, children to be healthy. Mm-hmm. I want my children to have abundance. I want my children to have happiness. I want them to have all the blessings. Yes, yes. And that's really redemptive consciousness is a consciousness mm-hmm. in which we have all the blessings. We don't have to give up one in order to get another one. Because when I'm plugged into the source of infinity, it's the source of everything. It's the source right. of all blessings, material and spiritual. And the two should be coming together, even though we live now in a world where there is so much disparity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which brings us back to that, which we talked at the beginning, the relationship with God, right? It's re- You just flipped it and you reminded us, who are you having a relationship with? Your father in heaven, your creator, just like you would want for your children. Who do you think you're talking to? You're talking to your, you know, this is a relationship that you have with the creator who cares intimately about you, about every aspect of your life, including your, your materiality. So there's a challenge of poverty and there's a challenge of wealth. Is what's the greatest challenge? Uh, what is the greater challenge, Rabbi, according to Judaism? King Solomon equates them. King Solomon in, 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 in Proverbs, Rashva Israel Titanli, he basically equates them. In other words, there is a tremendous, tremendous challenge in poverty. We mm-hmm. all understand what it is. Know. Of our right. parents right. know very well what it is. It's just the incessant sense of anxiety and stress and worry and the burden of not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. And it could be very stressful. It depletes people from energy and creativity. Mm-hmm. The Talmud says in Yavamas that a beautiful home expands consciousness. Dira mm-hmm. expands a person's mind. So when a person doesn't have that, sometimes the mind becomes narrower, life becomes narrower. Beautiful things can expand our consciousness. So we understand the challenge of that. But there's right. also the challenge of wealth. The challenge of wealth is smugness haughtiness, arrogance, a lot of insecurity, a lack of authenticity. I remember a very wealthy Mm -hmm. man once gave a speech somewhere, and he called me afterwards, and he asked me how it was. So I told him. I gave him some feedback. I said, why are you asking me? 
He says, because somehow, whoever I ask how my speech was, it's always the most brilliant speech that was ever given in history. He says, nobody has anything else to say on my speech. (laughs) Right? What often happens is, another person told me, he says, I'll be honest with you. I don't know how to be friends with anybody. I'm always afraid that every friend is just there to get money from me. So right. these, these are challenges of wealth. These are challenges of, 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 of healthy relationships, of humility, of really understanding that it's a tool. It's not a deity to worship. Of really not becoming, thinking you're too smart or you're too mm-hmm. happy. It's having that simplicity and humility of how to deal with a blessing. Because if not, the blessing can become a great challenge. Mm-hmm. It's funny that you gave those two examples because in the in the Gate of Trust, uh, Ravina Vachaya talks about this uh, the relationship like a person when they don't have bitachon when they're not they don't trust in the ultimate source of the wealth. Those boundaries in relationships are right. very uh, very um, not uh, proper, I guess. I'm missing the word, but like we we then uh, want to befriend people and uh, favor people and all these things that you're describing yeah. these people experiencing on the other side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 difficult, it's, and I understand it. In fact, the Talmud says in Erevin, Rabbi Mechabed Ashirim, Rabbi, who was the greatest leader of his generation, Rabbi Judah the right. Prince, Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, was the editor of the Mishnah. He lived in the second century after the Common Era. The Talmud says he showed respect to rich people. Mm-hmm. People wonder about it because he himself was extremely wealthy. Talmud right. says that he was a close friend with the Roman Emperor Antoninus. They were close mm-hmm. friends and they shared tremendous wealth. They were friends from childhood. It's a whole story. So why I understand I respect wealthy people. If I may have a big yeshiva and I need their charity. So obviously I show them reverence and respect. So uh, what, what was it? Like he didn't need their money. And, and one of the mm-hmm. answers that was given, one of the answers, I once heard this answer from Lubavitcher Rebbe was a very moving answer. And he said, wealthy people, includes two types of wealth. There's two types of wealth. There's physical wealth, financial wealth. There's also emotional and spiritual wealth. Wealth means that God gives certain people certain gifts that are disproportionate to others. When you have all the gifts, trust me, they come with challenges that are disproportionate to other people. It's just the way it is. Wow. Rebbe understood this, and this was the respect. There wasn't respect. You have money, I got to be nice to you because he's a schnorrer, but you're rich. I better be nice to you and say good job because if not, you know, I won't be able right. to get the loan I need. Rebbe didn't need anybody's loans, but he respected it because he understood that there are demons and skeletons that come with every great gift and you need mm-hmm. to be able to respect it and you have to be able to respect it inside of yourself because yeah. then you know that you were given a gift and that comes with a price price of duty, of leadership, Mm -hmm. of responsibility. Mm -hmm. And when we don't forget that, we ensure to use those gifts to the benefit of ourselves, our people, and mankind. Mm -hmm. And that God entrusted them with that gift. because The fact that God entrusted that that deserves respect. God saw that they can handle this. That's why he gave it to them. That deserves exactly. respect. And that's true. The Rebbe said about every wealthy person, whether it's about financial richness or many other forms of richness. And in many ways, you could say everyone is rich in one way or another. Because I have mm-hmm. one talent, but you have another talent. Every person has something to contribute that nobody else in the world has. 
Talmud says every person has to say, for me, the world was created. There's something at stake in my life that the entire world needs. And in that sense, I have a richness that nobody else has. I'm the one who has to give it. And you need to be able mm-hmm. to respect that in yourself and in others. Because God yeah. has chosen and entrusted this gift to this human being. When we look at it that way, we treat our gifts in a very, very different way. Right, right. So beautiful. And you just reminded me of that um, Fabrengen in the 1950s. You're probably familiar with this poem Fabrengen where the Rebbe spoke about the challenge of wealth, right? 1955, 1955. Yeah. You want to talk about it? (laughs) What happened there? It was an interesting experience. It's before my days. I wasn't born yet, but I heard it on tape because it was recorded on audio and I heard from people who were there. The Rebbe spoke about how for hundreds or maybe thousands of years, Jews were tested with the test of poverty. He said, and they triumphed. We survived. We thrived. We're here today. We're building Judaism despite everything. And of course, the worst poverty and the worst destruction, which was the Holocaust and the Soviet communism, and the Jews came out of it, not unscathed. He says, now it's time for God to test the Jewish people with wealth. Mm-hmm. And he was really, this is the early 50s. Most Jews were so poor. Remember, you were dealing with a generation of survivors. Most of them crossed the ocean and came with with a nickel or a quarter or $5 in their pocket. $5 was a lot of money. And they started with nothing. Who had anything? And the Jews in Israel, there was such poverty everywhere, everywhere. And the Rebbe was really saying, we're going into now a a a new era, a new generation. Our mindset should change. Don't be on the defensive anymore. Don't see our people as dejected and downtrodden and broken. Let's think big. He would love to repeat the phrase that God tells Jacob in his dream of You should spread out in the east and in the west and in the south and the north to build up Torah and Judaism in the entire world. For that, we need money. So he then said, it's Purim. It's a special time. Whoever wants to be blessed with wealth, and agrees to accept the challenge and utilize it the way God wants them to utilize it, should raise their hands. People and were, only six people raised their hands. <laughs> some people did. Some people did. I know some people who did. And trust me, they did not. <laughs> you, could, you could see the success in their lives. They, did, they were not poor people, to put it mildly. A few people I know, actually. Uh, some of the, most of them already passed away, but uh, but uh, they were extremely wealthy people. The Rebbe then afterwards, he got a little upset because he said there are people here who are embarrassed. They're too self-conscious to raise their hands to make believe they're interested in money. But then afterwards, they're going to come running and saying, I need money, I need money, mm-hmm. bless me with money. He says, now there's an opportunity for you to be blessed. Why are you making shtick? You know, why are you feigning mm-hmm. humility? that you're not interested in it. But essentially, again, we come back to this point that wealth, like every great gift, can be an enormous moral, spiritual, and emotional and psychological challenge. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, Mm -hmm. we live in a time where God says, take this challenge because you can triumph over it. You can transform the money into the greatest vehicle of the most unprecedented growth in Jewish history, financially, spiritually, and emotionally. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, 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 and that, that message that you just shared with us from the Fabrengen is not limited to those people in that, that time and place. It's, it, it's a message for all of us now today that that's an opportunity available for all of us. That's the mindset that we need to have. I want to ask you something. I want to veer off a little bit to something pretty practical that I noticed as I, when I embarked on this work, I realized that while Tzedakah, you know, not very accurately translated as charity, but Tzedakah, everybody knows what it means, um, made it to everybody's education. No matter what curriculum, it was from a reform temple, from a, from a Hebrew school, from a day school, from a cheder, right? Baruch Hashem, across the Jewish world, we learned this very important mitzvah, and we took it very seriously. We do take it very seriously, thank God. Yet when it came to Meister specifically, that seemed to be to have been overlooked in almost every curriculum. Like Meister is one of the things that I get asked about the most. In fact, many people think it's a Christian concept, not a Jewish concept. Um, some people tell me it's something they know they should do, but really, when I have more money, I'll do it. I'm not there yet. Some people tell me I I always knew I should do it, but I have no clue how to do it. Can you help me b- bring back my search to popularity to the forefront and, and clarify perhaps a distinction between Tzedakah, which we love and we're going to continue to love and Meister help them understand why this is so important. Yeah. So the word Meister literally means me which means one from 10, mm-hmm. which is tithing. It's basically separating me-eser. Meiser is me-eser, taking from 10, which means taking a percentage of 10, which is usually one from 10, mm-hmm. and giving it away. In English, they also call it tithing, meiser, because it's the concept of taking a certain part of your wealth and sharing it with the needy. The concept of meiser is one of the earliest concepts in Judaism. We have it, and this is unique. People don't know this. How many mitzvahs did Abraham do? And the answer is very few. I mean, he circumcised himself. The sages say he did all the mitzvahs, but in the Torah itself, we see he performed hospitality to strangers, right? He circumcised himself. Yeah. He went to war for innocent people. But there's one mitzvah does say in the Torah he did. Vayiten lo maiser. Abraham gave maiser. You come to Jacob. Jacob, again. How many mitzvahs did Jacob do? This is before the Torah was given. There were no mitzvahs yet. Again, the sages say that they did all the mitzvahs on a spiritual level. But the Torah says Jacob made a promise when he ran away to his uncle. Everything you give me, I'm going to give my sin. So it's just fascinating that already in the earliest moments of Jewish history, pre the exodus of Egypt, pre the events at Sinai, there was this notion of giving my sin, which literally means that 10%... Mm-hmm. Of what I have, I share. And the word we use for this is maiser because according to Jewish law, this is the law. That the profits I make from what I have, 10% does not belong to me. 10% of it is a deposit that God gave me in order to share with those who need the money. Now, in the code of Jewish law, there's details about it. Because obviously, if I already tithe the money I have next year, I'm not going to do it again. But next year, I made profits. I made revenue. So generally, from the profits that I made this year, I take minimum 10% and I give it away for tzedakah. The word tzedakah is an interesting word. People translate it as charity. That's not the translation of tzedakah. The translation of tzedakah is justice, tzedek. Because in the Jewish conception, 
Charity is not just an act of generosity. I'm such a nice guy. I'm such a generous woman or man. I give charity. You're, you're generous, I'm sure. But it's much deeper than that. It's actually tzedek. It's the right thing to do. Because Judaism teaches that part of the wealth, part of the money that God has given me, he also gave me in order to share with his children. So mm-hmm. it's the right thing to do to take minimum 10% and give it for tzedakah, give it for charity. Obviously, the halacha encourages people to give more than 10%. There are those who give a chaymish, which is a fifth, 20%. That's double. But the minimum is maise, and this is a halacha. There is a debate among halachic authorities if this is mamish, a biblical commandment. The fact that we mm-hmm. give tzedakah to the poor, the fact that we're all educated with the spirit of charity, that's a mitzvah in the Torah. It says clearly. A poor man doesn't have, you should open your hand and open your heart. But what about the mitzvah of giving 10% of my profits each year to charity? Some say it's actually a biblical mitzvah. Some say it's a rabbinic mitzvah. That's an argument that's beyond this, I think, this discussion. But that's the general idea of, of Meiser. And Jews have been very, very diligent about this. They took this very, very seriously, uh, and because it was really, it meant for them, this is how the money is blessed. This is how my money is blessed. And I'm fulfilling the duty with my money because in many ways, it says in books, if I keep my miser, it's like stolen money. It doesn't belong to me. Right. It's taking right. somebody else's money, even though I made the money and legally it belongs to me. But God says, there's a part of money that I have given you because I want to give you the opportunity to be a giver. This needs to be mm-hmm. shared. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And isn't there somewhere that also it says, I'm forgetting the example now, but there's a Talmud that talks about the fact that the, the, the role swaps. Like if I don't keep, if I don't give Meister, then I get the Meister and Hashem keeps the 90%. Yeah. Right. The sages say on that verse that sometimes if I hold back, if I hold back, that becomes my revenue. There was mm-hmm. a teacher once. He, uh, he gave an interesting quiz to his children. You know, he said, if I have five candles that are lit, right? I have candles, five candles that are lit. So he says, and I extinguish three of them. How many candles am I left with? So the kid said, well, if you had five candles burning and you extinguish three of them, you're left with two candles. He said, no, Mm -hmm. those two candles burn to the ground. I'm left with three candles. (laughs) (laughs) I'm left with three candles. So he said, the money that you give away, that's what you're left with. <laughs> because wow. often the money that I have my own, okay, I may have it, I may lose it. Money comes, money goes. But the money that I give away, that money I own forever. Yeah, forever. There you go. They that's tell the a story about, uh, about Moses Montefiore. Sir Moses Montefiore was one of the greatest British Jewish philanthropists and personalities are real great activists. And uh, it also helped that he, you know, he was a brother-in-law of Rothschild. That always helps. But he was a very, very wealthy Jew, a very special Jew too, a great, great man, Moshe Montefiore. It's an old story, an anecdote, a vignette. They say that somebody came over to him in Shul and said, Moshe, how many pounds are you worth this year? So he told them a number. The man said, oh, come on, stop lying. I know you made at least five or ten times that amount. He says, you didn't ask me how much money I made this year. 
You asked me how much money I'm worth this year. I gave you the amount of money that I have given for charity this year. If you would have asked me how much I earned this year, I would have given you a different number. You asked me how much I'm worth this year. I told you the number I gave to charity because a person is worth that which he's ready to share with others. Beautiful. And I love that story. I, I, it's one of my favorites. I'm happy that you shared it. Um, talking about, we talked about the financial stresses uh, that we've all experienced. I mean, I don't think anybody's immune to them. I mean, maybe some very ultra wealthy people, but <laughs> um, the let's talk about the role of bitachon in our financial lives of trust, because I often, Rabbi, I often like to say that it's it's the foundation of our financial structure or financial system. Like without a will nourish foundation, the entire structure that you've built is on very shaky ground, on very shaky foundation. Not only will it be at high risk of collapsing, but it can be your own downfall. What do you think? How, how do we, how do we, how do we bring Bitachon into, into the financial mindset that we should, um, or the financial perspective? Yeah, it's advisable for everybody to learn the book Duties of the Heart, the portal of trust that you speak about so much. And you were behind, uh, I think, many of the podcasts. <laughs> it's a seminal work in the Jewish approach to wealth and to living in general. Mm-hmm. Because when we have a positive mindset, you know, as the Tzamech Tzedek said, tracht good good. When you think in a positive way, when you're filled with love and trust, everybody around you changes. The yeah. energy is transformed. Yeah. The problem is, and this I want to emphasize, this is not an external thing. This is a very authentic experience, meaning if I have internal anxiety that's not letting me think positive, it's not about pinching your cheeks, hey, I'm smiling, I think good. This is not about denying your emotions or repressing your emotions. We have to work through our issues. Some people suffer from very, very deep anxiety for reasons that they are completely not guilty of. And just to Mm -hmm. tell them, oh, trust and be positive attitude could sometimes be cruel. I'm saying this because I know this very, very well, unfortunately. People can be hurt. They sit at a lecture. And somebody just have a positive attitude. Just be positive and smile and the world will smile back at you. Sometimes that's exactly true. Nietzsche once said, if you stare into the abyss, the abyss starts staring back at you. Mm. So it's important to open up our mindset, to be optimistic, to be productive. But we have to acknowledge the fact that sometimes there's very deep-rooted anxiety and trauma. You can't Mm -hmm. just tell a person, snap your fingers, smile, get a job, give charity, go to a class, and it's going to go away. Because there are thousands of people who tried all of this for years and years. And they did the right mm. thing, but it didn't go away. So, so sometimes mm-hmm. it's a very, very deep-rooted thing. It usually comes from trauma. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. Usually, I don't know, I'm not an expert on all cases, but right. often it can come from trauma. A kid, who, a right. child who was abused emotionally, physically, sexually, of course, sometimes loses a sense of self-value. And no, they right. can't think positive about the world. You know why? Because they are in active trauma and survival mode 24 yeah. 7, and they don't even know it. Right. Right. So when we speak about betachen, I'm not just talking about, you know, clap your hands, snap your fingers, lift up your hands, smile. I'm talking about a deep avoida, deep, deep mm-hmm. work. Some people, it's mm-hmm. easier. For some people, it's more difficult. 
But this mm-hmm. is everybody has the right to be happy. When yes. we say there's a mitzvah to be happy, to be with trust, it's not a commandment only. It's an opportunity. It's 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 a source. Everyone has this gift. Everyone is entitled mm-hmm. to this gift. If it's a mitzvah that God gave me, it means he believes that this is my potential self. I can't find that. I have to know that somewhere in the world, there is salvation waiting for me. Somewhere mm-hmm. in the world, there is a model of healing. There is a friend. Mm-hmm. There is love. There is a, 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 a method that can help ease my anxiety and give me much more betachah. And sometimes it takes a lot of sweat, blood, and tears to be able yeah. to do that. But when sure. we can each work on ourselves, not judge others, but work on ourselves with a lot of compassion and reach that mindset, things are transformed. Mm-hmm. Because when mm-hmm. I'm in that space, everybody feels it. Yeah. The first yeah. one who feels it is my soul, my brain. So all my work changes. My attitude changes. The energy I put out into the world changes. And the outcome is very, very profound. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of bitachon, there is an idea that's brought down from, from, from the Chavos Halavavos. And also there's a Hayom Yom. I want to say it's a 25th of Nisan, but I might be off. On, on, let's talk about professional fulfillment because for many, the choice to make a vessel for their livelihood is, is strategically planned out, but not based on what their innate talents might be, what their natural inclinations might be, but it's more according to the system of nature, what looks good on the resume, what's going to pay them more dollars and cents. And we see that very often this might leave people very unfulfilled. And yet with a tremendous fear to explore a path that they deeply down, they, they, they know deeply that that is more suitable to their nature and more fulfilling. What can we say to people struggling with this? Yeah. Listen, on one hand, you know, it's easy to say, you know, I love when billionaires get up and give motivational speeches for people to take risks and don't care what (laughs) anybody says. I love it. I need to put food on the table. (laughs) It's also, you know, sometimes you watch these guys speak to college students, you know, commencement speeches, right? Tell them, be individualistic and be yourself. You know, I dropped out of school when I was nine years old and now I'm worth whatever. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, right. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and and then I'm sitting in the audience thinking, but I have $200,000 in student loans to pay. <laughs> right. I, I think like always, you know, a balance is very, very appropriate, which means on one hand, mm-hmm. you want to be responsible. You want to be conscientious. But on the other hand, all great things in life require a leap. <laughs> yeah. Somebody once told his son playing basketball, I don't mind if you aim high and miss. I mind if you aim low and never miss. So we have to realize if I'm going to aim high, I'm going to miss. But that's the reward and the price for aiming high. Mm-hmm. So what does this mean practically? I think what it means practically is every person has to really look at their lives And as I gave one person advice, I said, listen, continue doing what you're doing, but maybe cut out two hours every day and carve out those two hours to explore a new enterprise, a new dimension, a new education, a new path, or figure out a system for the next two years in which you have to devote yourself to learning this or or acquiring the skills or acquiring the degree. 
In other words, we don't want to do it in an archaic, frivolous, irresponsible way, especially you're not single, you have a spouse, you have children, you have to take care of them. But don't allow yourself to remain paralyzed by fear. Don't re- allow yourself mm-hmm. to remain numb and just say, no, I'm in a comfort zone. I have health insurance. I have a secure job. And if I'm going to do this for the next 55 years and I'm going to be miserable every day. You weren't created to be miserable. <laughs> you weren't created to be right. miserable. Does this mean you should become a frivolous, you know, uh, <laughs> bohemian uh, nomad, uh, jumping off buildings, etc.? It does mean... Take initiative, take risks, be creative, speak to people who want to see you fly. Speak Mm -hmm. to people. Somebody asked me the other day in an interview, he said, I want to consult people about my future. How do I know who to consult? I said, here's the the first condition. Somebody who wants to see you soar. In Hebrew, it's an expression, somebody who's not jealous of you, somebody who doesn't, not invested to tell you, don't make waves, you know, just live a life of quiet desperation. Somebody who wants mm-hmm. to see you fly like a mother bird when the chick is standing at the edge of the cliff and the chick is afraid. The mother bird says, I'm not going to leave you here for the rest of your life. You weren't, rem- you weren't destined to remain stuck in the nest. You were destined to perpetuate the legacy of generations of birds. We're right. going to f- jump and we're going to start flying. Those are the people you want to surround yourself with. People who love you, people who want to see you succeed. I once had a very interesting conversation. I was with my brother. We went to visit Dr. Bernie Lander. You know, Dr. Bernie Lander is the founder of Turo College. Okay. At that that time, there were 23 schools of Turo College in the United States and around the world, in Israel and Russia and Europe, 23. We went to visit the founder of Turo, Dr. Bernie Lander. He was already a man in his 90s, and he was blind. He couldn't Mm. see anymore, and he still ran Turo College. How? With a telephone. <laughs> he, he had the, the telephone on his desk. I remember I came to visit him with my brother. We sat there for a few hours. And he told us something I'll never forget. He was a blind man. I believe he was 93 years old at the time. He passed away a few, some time later. And he told us that he was a professor of economics in Yeshiva University. He had mm-hmm. tenure. He was in his 50s. He was close to retirement with a full pension, with a beautiful retirement, a beautiful job. An economics professor, teacher, raised generations of students, was a respectable person, was an academic, was a pedagogue, was an educator. But he said, but I felt unfulfilled. Mm. And I came home one day and I told my wife, I'm just not fulfilled teaching economics for the rest of my life. And I had this dream of opening up a center for what he called a Torah or Parnassa, for yeshiva boys and girls to go to college at the time. There was no respect for holidays. Many of them were affected by the virulent and anti-religious ambiance in most universities filled with atheism or at least agnosticism, mocking boundaries. And we lost a lot of our youth over there. And he wanted to make a place that's going to be fully accommodate, not just accommodating, but fully integrated with a Torah lifestyle. But Yeshiva University did not want that to happen. That was his alma mater. He was a teacher because Yeshiva University, you know, was the place where so many people were coming for this. The amazing institution, right. but he wanted, he told me, Yeshiva University wants you should come to them. And I wanted to go to everybody else. In other words, completely mm-hmm. create a different model. And I didn't think it was possible and feasible. He says, and I came home and I was discussing with my wife and I told my I'm already older than 55. I'm supposed to start on it. And he says, my wife looked at me. He's told this to us. 
and said, I believe in you. You quit your job and do this. And he says, wow. today we have 23 schools of Torah. He had a woman. What do they say? The wind beneath my wings. He had a woman mm-hmm. who said, I believe in you. Now, obviously, they had challah for Shabbos. I don't think they were starving. They were practical people. But she gave him that drive and said, no. And look, he was there. He's 93. And he knew he built 23, 23 institutions that have given tens of thousands of young Jewish men and women, Torah observant women, an opportunity to support their families with grace and dignity and prosperity. He was, he was, it was, it was so moving to you. And I still remember how two tears flowed down. He was a blind mm-hmm. man. Two tears flowed down his cheeks. Mm-hmm. As he told us, his wife was already passed away. He was in his nineties. And he said, and when he said, my wife looked, my wife looked at me and said, I believe in you. You could leave wow. your job of tenure and start from scratch. Now people made fun of him. They mocked him now, today. You know, it sounds like a simple idea. But he went and he did it. And uh, it was just a very, it was a very moving moment. It was a very moving moment to be able to see a 93-year-old man say that. So I, I, I would say this to everybody. When you're 93 years old or 99 years old and you're sitting on your beach chair, I don't know, in Palm Beach, wherever <laughs> you're going to be, on your rooftop in Yerushalayim, right? And you're going to be lying back and thinking back at your life. Are you going to be proud of your decision? to go the extra mile, to take some risks, to flex your muscles, to expand your consciousness, to do the difficult thing, but to know that you maximized your energy to the best of your ability, that you fulfilled your potential, that you made the mark on the world that you were able to make, that your soul came down to this world to make. That's a very intimate question. And when I'm 99 years old, I'm not going to be able to lie about that answer. <laughs> you know, right. when I'm 43 right. or 50, I could say, yeah, 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 I have a headache. I've got to go to sleep, which is normal, which is normal. It's not, it's not about judgment. It's not about judgment. Because sometimes the most respectable thing in the world is to carry a job, to come home and play with your children and barbecue with your children and hug your children and spend time with them. And that's the greatest job in the world. Let Trust me, it's more important than any other job, the gift of attachment. So this is not mm-hmm. about judgment. This is not about the fact that you want to be busy 21 hours a day. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about really making sure that you are living up to your potential. And the first potential is you don't want to regret what type of father you were, what type of husband you were, what type of mother you were, what type of wife you are. What type of brother, sister, child, parent, grandparent, sibling, or friend? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the first type of spiritual and physical wealth that we all cherish more than anything else. Amazing. Amazing. And it's interesting that you brought us to an example where the wife played such an important role in mo- motivating him. As yeah. you know, mon- money can be such a source of tension of in course. marriages, which is not what God wants, you no. know, and it's what is no. happening. Husband and wife, are, it's very sad. It's painful when the husband and wife are fighting about money. Yeah. What are some other tips that you can give listeners to help them with this this issue, which often is just a communication issue, I find. But uh, what can you help? What can you say to listeners? It's difficult, but I think there's two things that have to happen. Number one, a husband and wife must 
have the courage to be very honest about what's really bothering them. Usually or often money is only the smoke screen. Right. Sometimes there's a deep underlying fear the woman has or the man has, and it's just playing itself out. So we really have to be open to self-examination and we may need the support of an objective third party to be able to see what's really, really bothering me. I think that's so important on both sides. The second thing that's so important is the communication. He should understand her, she should understand him, and they should have the goodwill that they want to be close. Mm-hmm. Because if they don't have that goodwill, if he's using money to oppress her and she's using money to get angry at him, then money is going to become a living hell. Right. I'm going to say it again. If he's using money to oppress her and she's using money against him, it's going to destroy their marriage. There must be right. a goodwill. We want to be close. Do you want to be close or you don't want to be close? If you don't want to be close, okay, that's sad. But if you want to be close, you need to listen. What are her concerns? What are his concerns? What are you both feeling? Listen to each other and then learn to understand each other and respect each other. Mm-hmm. I, may, I need to make disclaimer again because I see it again and again. This will not work if there is serious active trauma in him or her. Right. Because then right. it's not about money. It's about disassociation. It's about the inability to feel. It's about the inability to connect. It's about the inability to trust. He's an act of trauma. She's an act of trauma. You can have all the conversations in the world. It's going to break down because something fundamentally is broken in one of them or both of them. And then you need a whole different path. You need trauma healing. I say this Mm -hmm. because today we're just seeing it so much. And I would say most divorces are not because of a lack of compatibility, but it's because of act of trauma in one or the other or both parties without their ability to recognize it and do something about it. And my heart comes. But if we are in a place where we're open to this goodwill, communication, and being honest about what's bothering me becomes the key. And then it's amazing. And then it could be amazing. Money should unite a couple, not Mm -hmm. separate a couple. Right. Money is, 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 is the tool through which we raise a family, through which we build a home together through which we go on vacation together, through which make, we make Pesach together, through which we make Shabbos together. It's a tool. It's a tool that was given to us. Let's connect, but we need goodwill. We need trust. Right. Overall, we, above all, we need to trust. Yeah, I love that answer. And one, one last thing that we didn't mention, but I think it's, it's important as, as Jews to mention, going circling back to the way we started with the abundance and God wanting you know, prosperity for everybody and getting rid of that fear and of lack and scarcity and all that gratitude rabbi it's part and parcel of being jewish and i mean active gratitude what what can be the role of gratitude um in freeing ourselves from that scarcity mindset and cultivating an abundance mindset well gratitude is uh, is so important as we know it's a foundation in judaism our entire structure of prayer is based on gratitude. The first thing we do in the morning as Jews is we wake up and we say, Maidani, I'm grateful. We wash our hands and we say again, Maidani lefanach, I'm grateful. Mm-hmm. The whole list of blessings in which we thank the Creator, the source of life, for the blessings of life. Why? It puts you into a different mindset. The moment I don't take for granted the fact that I woke up today and 50 trillion cells are functioning. I can breathe. My biological systems are functioning. My digestive system, my urinary system, my respiratory system, my circulatory system, and the other systems, how many miracles have to happen every moment for these systems to function? Everything is different. I'm in a more mindful, 
conscious, connected, humble, appreciative state. Everything is different. If I wake up and right away I'm on my email, I already lost the plot. I'm already in chaos. I'm already disintegrated. Mm-hmm. And go there. We begin with okay. connection. Anchor. You have to be anchored. Anchored in yourself. Anchored in God. Anchored in the source of life. That's mm-hmm. what gratitude does. Gratitude yeah. reminds me that nobody owns me anything. <laughs> nobody right. owns me anything. Right. I didn't create this world. I didn't create life. <laughs> you know, Pharaoh said he's God, but I'm not. Right. But he once told right. me about a person. He said he's a self-made man and he worships his creator. <laughs> but when we start worshiping the creator who is a self-made man, we are destined for disappointment. So gratitude puts us in a state of normalcy, of sanity, of connectivity. And then everything changes. Right. And ultimately, the normalcy and the sanity actually brings us back, brings us back to feeling tremendously abundant because once you realize wow i have this i have this husband these children this body these talents like oh my right i'm I'm not focusing on what i don't have but what i have you feel very humbled you feel like i have so much right it's incredible again i'm going to say again and i think it's important because people don't emphasize this enough and that is for some people this is not just a thought If internally I feel cursed and I feel mm-hmm. valueless, you can just tell people, be grateful. It's not fair. I'm going to say yeah. it again. In other words, we often think that we just tell people how to feel and they feel that right. way. With some people that can work because they're open to it. And if you could give them their perspective, they're like, oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> but sometimes there's a brokenness. And if there's a brokenness, I can't just tell you, Put the two pieces together. Together, I don't know right. how to put the two pieces together. I don't know. So this is where we have to respect the fact that this is sometimes a difficult journey to be grateful. Or to put mm-hmm. it simply, somebody once told me, I can't be grateful. When my life was cursed from the youngest years, I can't be grateful. In fact, right. I would have been grateful if I died in my sleep. Right. So just to tell right. them, oh, stop speaking nonsense. That's idiotic. It's not fair. You don't understand. Yeah. yeah. And I'm glad you now brought my it, job brought is, it up. My job right. is I want to love this person so much to be able to make them feel genuinely that they have what to be grateful for. Mm-hmm. Instead mm-hmm. of preaching mm-hmm. to them to be grateful, mm-hmm. why don't you become the source of change that you want to see in them? Carol mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Young once said such a good line. You know, he was the student, a student of Sigmund Freud. Right. And I think one of the only believers in his circle, as they say, Sigmund Freud <laughs> had a minion from Mincha every day. The problem is they were all atheists. The only one who believed was <laughs> Carol Young, but he was a guy, so he didn't have to dive a Mincha. He once said, be ready for this truth. He says, you'll only be able to change somebody else to the degree that you're ready to change yourself. Mm-hmm. So this is very true in many areas of life. Mm-hmm. I don't think that mm-hmm. quote was accurate, but it's something of that nature. 
Beautiful, beautiful. Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson, let's wrap it up with what I like to call Jewish Money Matters fill in the blanks. And this is the part of the show where, where I'll give you an open-ended sentence and you'll finish it with the first thing that comes to mind, okay? Sounds good. All right. When I give Meister or Tzedakah, I'd like to give to? I always feel to give to people who are broken, whose life mm-hmm. you can rebuild. Right. And I like that you said that the individual, sometimes it's like giving to an individual who you know has a real need. Um, you can, you could really feel the impact, you know, yeah. especially would, when there's you know, I would advise to people it's before the holidays and really before all holidays, you know, you know, ask around, ask your sister-in-law, ask your secretary, ask your assistant. Do you know somebody in your family, in your community they may have many children and they're truly destitute. You know, write them a check. It's an amazing thing. You make their whole pace yeah. up. You make their whole suit because it's an amazing thing. You yeah, send them $1,000, you send them $5,000, you send them $500. It's an incredible thing. And we all, we all, their miracle. Either they live on your block or they live in your neighborhood, in your show, or just ask your brother, <laughs> ask your right. secretary, ask your sister-in-law, you know, tell, give me a name, somebody you know, everybody knows, you know, their family and you check it's an incredible thing a hundred percent be somebody else's miracle so true i'd like to make more money because (laughs) we need to change the world (laughs) good one exactly something i wish i'd learned about money growing up is i don't know i don't have regrets in that area (laughs) i figure this is not i didn't learn a lot about money growing up that's the truth my parents made a fine living but it wasn't uh they weren't extremely wealthy. They were comfortable, thank God. Um, uh, it wasn't really a focus when I was growing up. And the truth is that I'm really not a businessman, so I'm not an expert on money. <laughs> I'm really but, not but, an expert but, but, on but, money. I am an expert. I'll tell you what I even, but I haven't met a lot of people who have money and who don't have money. So I learned a little wisdom from them. That's it. <laughs> exactly. I want to tell you something. You are an expert because you learned the proper Jewish perspective of money and that can inform everything else. So it's okay. not about the, the other stuff. That's, yeah. that's nonsense. No, no, without, brain, without, brain. without this, the rest is nothing. That's true. I'm just saying my brain is not a financial brain. When I start hearing numbers, <laughs> I shut down. <laughs> money spiritual or Talk physical to me about the energy I'll, 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 I'll get it <laughs> okay so let's everybody got to know their skill everybody got to know their skill for accounting right. and quickbooks I, you I hire someone <laughs> let them let them utilize their talents in the best way possible <laughs> money spiritual or physical the connection money is the synthesis between spiritual and physical the most right, physical right. and it can become the most spiritual Yes. Something I splurge on unapologetically is? I buy books. I figured you were going to say that. <laughs> Same thing happens in my household. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm familiar with that. Now, I'm familiar with that now I have to read them all. Now I have to finish them. <laughs> uh, today I'm most grateful for? Grateful for my wife, for my children, for my soul, and for the people I love and who love me. Mm-hmm. And finally, I'm Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson, and I believe Jewish Money Matters because? Because it's our vehicle to bring a new consciousness of truth, of healing, of goodness, of love, of godliness to our people, to our communities, and to our world.
Beautiful, beautiful. And we should all be inspired to be continue to do that and do it in the most beautiful, majestic way. Right. Why, why, Jacobson, where can listeners find you and keep learning from you? You can go to my website where you have most of my classes, theyeshiva.net, T-H-E-Y-E-S-H-I-V-A.net, theyeshiva.net. Over there, you could connect to us to receive our emails or WhatsApps, or you can go to my YouTube channel, Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson, and subscribe. You can subscribe to our podcasts as well of the yeshiva.net. And I hope you stay in touch and thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much. This was amazing. Thank so you, Yael. And may you continue, as your name indicates, to elevate our people higher and higher and yet higher. In amen, richness, amen. In richness, spiritual, emotional, and financial. Amen. Beautiful. We'll keep trying. <laughs> Thank you, Rabbi, so Thank much. You. This is amazing. Thank you. Thanks to Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson for stopping by. You can find his content on his website, theyeshiva.net, and on his YouTube channel. You're very likely to be in the midst of your Passover preparations. I know I am. (laughs) So hopefully you enjoyed this episode as you're preparing or traveling or doing all the things we do to get ready for Passover. Please let me know. I'd I'd love to hear from listeners, hear where they're listening from, what their takeaways from the episodes are, etc. You can leave a review and rating on your Apple Podcast app. It takes literally 30 seconds at most, or you can always drop me an email yael at yaeltrush.com always love to hear from you we will resume programming after passover on monday april 17 so i take this opportunity to wish you a pesach kasher a kosher and happy passover